When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's good? My name is Chris Dabbs. It's Trapping Anonymous. We got past the Anonymous. Shout out to the new season. Shout out to everybody that's been rocking with me, keeping this thing going. We are super excited to bring you these new episodes. I was particularly... Um, I wanted to really, really do this episode for a while, especially being somebody that grew up in the church. Um, Christianity has been a major part of my life, so I thought, so was a lot of people in my community. So if I could get sort of the uh, pastor's perspective that maybe we could teach a lot of people and help educate some people as far as when it comes to religion, spirituality, everything that uh, there is to know about that. So that's why we're here. I'm happy that we're here. and. I like to always jump right into my episodes. Uh, do remember the stories that you hear do not necessarily reflect real life. Um, we just use these stories to educate and inform and try to keep some people off the streets. It's Trapping Anonymous. My name is Chris Davs. Let's get it. How you doing today? I'm good. How okay. are you? All right, I'm well, I'm well. Um, I like to always jump into the episodes. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't like to take the scenic route. Um, when was the first time that you knew, I guess, God was real? And like, not when it was like taught to you real, like when the first time you knew like, all right, this ain't cap. Um, you, you know what, that's an interesting question because for me, I did grow up, you know, Christian my whole life from the time I was, you know, born, born into a Christian family. Um, And so for me, I would say the realization when I got to a point where it was like, no, God is very real for me. I actually was a lot younger than most people would be. It definitely was around elementary school. um, And it was this realization that this is not what my life is supposed to look like, right? Like, so when I was born, my father was in prison doing 20 to life. My mother was a teenage mother who, you know, just wasn't really ready to be a mother. And I was raised by my maternal grandmother. My father's entire side of the family was on the other side of the country. And somehow I still ended up being this kid that grew up in a middle-class neighborhood and went to a private school. And I was being raised by, you know, my grandmother, who's my mom, but she was a single parent raising me and my older brothers and, you know, doing a really good job. And so for me, I think it was at the point when I realized this is not what everybody says my circumstances are supposed to be. 
And that's when I realized like, nah, this, there's something else intervening here that we don't get to this point by ourselves. If, if the situation had been just the same at face level and God not been involved, like, you know, I could have been terminated, I could have been dead, I could have been being raised out in Cali, you know, with my father's family, but God just really intervened in these meaningful ways that put me in positions my entire life to be well. I know you said you were young. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not the time that you knew you were called to lead a congregation. No, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. So that, you know, I was going to um, law school. I went to undergrad with the strong desire to be a lawyer. And the funny thing about it is I was gonna do entertainment law like I already had it game planned in my mind. I'm gonna come out and get a job with Def Jam, get a job with Rockefeller. I'm gonna be doing this so I can mix law and music, like which at the time were like just everything for me. Um, and I was already in the middle of like taking LSAT prep classes. I was doing extremely well. Um, and then my senior year, <laughs> I had an accident on a Sunday morning headed to campus. Um, where an 18-wheeler ran my car over while I was inside of it. Uh, Mack truck. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, so it's Sunday morning. I'm headed to campus to go see a play, ironically. Um, it wasn't raining, but it had been raining earlier that morning. Uh, it was a four-car pileup in front of me. I see the pileup. I check my side-view mirror. There's, it's all clear. I get over, I put on my signal and everything. But when I get over, it was a huge divot in the road. And so because it had been raining early, it was like a lake. I ended up hydroplaning across four lanes, right underneath a Mack truck. Like I was literally underneath it, like in the first Fast and Furious movie. I remember when they went under the Yes, so the front of my car hit the inside tires. It sucked the car in, crushed the whole front of the car. The dashboard collapsed on me. But then because the wheels on the bus go round and round, it spit the car out and the back tires ran the joint over while I was inside of it. I was trapped in the car for like an hour and 45 minutes, had to be airlifted to the hospital, like all manner of drama. But there was this moment, blood is everywhere, I'm coughing up blood, the airbags deployed, and there was this moment where I was in the car and I was just like pissed, to be honest. I was just so mad, like F Atlanta, Atlanta trying to kill me, I hate it here. Like I was just so tight. Um, and all of a sudden the car just got really calm, mm. like just really peaceful. And the only way I could describe it is it felt like water. Mm. Like when you're, you know, if you're in a pool and you go under and you see your friends, y'all trying to take pictures and laugh and talk, that's what it felt like. Like everything was slow. Um, and then I could feel the presence of God behind me in the car, but they had already put a neck brace on me so I couldn't turn around. And then God just said to me, this happened because you wouldn't be still. I've been trying to talk to you and you just wouldn't slow down. And then God just said to me, you're gonna preach. And you're gonna say things to people that other people can't say, and you're gonna reach people that other people can't reach. But the thing that always sticks with me, like you know, 20 years later is, God said to me, and you don't have to be afraid because I'm gonna go with you. And like repeated that one phrase to me like four times in the car. You don't have to be afraid because I'm gonna be with you. Um, and I got out the car. Like they finally got me out with the jaws of life airlifted to the hospital, 
I didn't spend a single night in the hospital. I have literally one tiny scar from the accident. Nobody can ever tell where it is. Well, I mean, I would have probably been getting paid, but if <laughs> I would have found some kind of injury during Georgia that. Georgia is a no-fault state, oh, oh. and technically, because I went underneath this man's truck, it, it could have been one of them things where they were like, well, hell, you put him in danger. It's funny how, here I am, I'm, I'm thinking about a come up, right? Um, but it's funny how that's the moment that transitions everything for you, like that, that, that time, like that's worth more than money, right? Um, so it's just like, it's, it's interesting the times that God uses. Because I, I never think that God is gonna use the opportunity when we're living life, right? When we're on the top of the world because we think it's us, you know, or we might be full of ourselves or, you know, whatever the case may be. But when those moments where we hit those lows is like, it's that calming thing that you spoke about. It's just like, you can hear so clear and like nothing else could, but God, right? Like mm -hmm. I need a miracle kind of situation to kind of like, you know, believe. What about a time we, you feel like after this transpired, will you question God again? Maybe the same, maybe this is, maybe this is Cap. Nah, you know what? The time where after, you ask me questions that's gonna make it seem like my responses are mad dramatic on purpose, but it's not, it's just like the reality. Now I also feel like I'm not Pastor Anonymous because some people right away gonna know it's me, but I'm cool with that. Um, when my brother died, so I, my youngest brother died in 2014 um, and he had a massive asthma attack. He had had asthma since he was a baby. Um, and just one night, you know, he had been sick that week, like, but like, thought he had a cold. He had went to work that same day at Adidas, uh, down south, worked in the mall, had just got a promotion. Uh, came home from work that day, wasn't feeling well, could not breathe, called 911, went outside on his porch to wait for them, um, and died. And, you know, he was 19 years old, um, and I, you know, I was, I was 15 when he was born, so he was, he was the baby, you know, like he was everything. Um, and I remember that night, like I remember that night when he died. Oh, Chris, you're a jerk for even asking me that. Um, but I remember the night he died. Um, I was the first person who got the call. And so I remember being like, yo, how am I gonna call my mother and my sister and tell them that he is dead? Um, and I, re I remember that night, my sons were in their room sleeping, it's the middle of the night, and I remember like wailing into my pillow, like screaming. And the thing I remember saying was, yo, I gave you my whole life, you couldn't take care of my family. Um, and that was real, I think like, those are the vulnerabilities of even like pastors that sometimes people don't get, like, we go through the same stuff everybody else go through. like. Ain't no special passes, ain't no get out of jail free cards. It's not, oh, grief is gonna skip you. You know, all of that like, oh, favor is real and it's on me. Yeah, you can have favor and still be going through stuff, right? Favor means you're not gonna struggle alone. It don't mean you're not gonna struggle. And so for me, it wasn't a question of doubting God about whether or not God was real. It was a question about theodicy, which speaks about the goodness of God. Mm. Like, can God be good in the midst of all this bad stuff happening around me? Um, and for me, 
I always knew that the answer was yes, but I was angry. Like I was real angry. I legit felt like I accepted my call at 21 and pretty much like that was it. I, I taught sixth grade for a year and I've, I've been a pastor. Like that's it. I taught sixth grade for a year and then I've been a pastor. Um, and so for me, it was like, I've made all of these crazy sacrifices. I told you, I was planning on going to law school yeah. based on like, you know, my grades and what I was doing on that, like in the LSAT prep class. I was definitely gonna go like top five law schools probably. I stopped everything for this. Yeah, and I was like, bro, like really Jesus? Like this is what we, this is what we doing? So <laughs> now, I mean, look at you. You know, I, I could go on for days about how I've even watched you grow and I'm sure many of the people in your life are just like, wow, like just look at you being this voice, this almost pillar for so many people. And being on that stage, how do you separate this is me and this is God? So I say that in a way that sometimes when you're on that stage, you start to feel full of yourself. You start to feel those moments of, look at me, you know? You could sort of feel, kind of get lost in your own sauce. You know, how do you discern from like, all right, let me just kind of bring it down a little bit. Let me not get all caught up in sort of the hype of things. Because I, I, I could imagine that that happens to a lot of preachers. Um, it certainly happens, right? Like you definitely know people, you see it happen. Um, it's not just the TV preachers, like it happens, right? With the Rolls Royces. Yeah, it's, it's not just that. It, it happens with regular people, regular degulars. Like you went to school with them, you went to grad school with them, you see it happen. For me, it is, it is an intentionality about humility that is rooted in one of the scariest scriptures for me in the Bible. So there's this one thing in the Bible where it's talking about um, Saul. Saul was the king of Israel before David, right? But there's this point where it says, and the spirit of the Lord left him. And for me, it is this constant reminder that like the anointing on your life and the favor that is on your life is not from you. It has nothing to do with you. Like it really is a gift from God. It is the hand of God being on you. And the minute you start to take credit for something God did, Mm. That could be you. And the spirit of the Lord left him and the spirit of the Lord left her. And, you know, it's I don't think it's the same thing as like you out on the stage, yeah. Chris, you throwing parties, you the promoter, you the hype man, you out there doing your thing. Right. Yeah. The people are responding to you in the energy you're bringing. Right. When I am up preaching, there is an intentionality about the fact that what I need and want the people to respond to is the way I am explaining the word of God to them. And so you've heard me preach before. That's why for me, it's really important that I do so much through stories because I think stories connect people. Absolutely. Um, and I just, I'm scared to be in a situation where, yo, you thought this was you? Mm. Come here, let me show you that this is not true. Mm. And so you're always operating from that place of, well, no, it's a healthy respect. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not fear, but it is, God loves Saul. Like he let Saul be the first king. 
he didn't want he didn't want the children of Israel to have a king at all. Like at first, when you see it play out in the Bible, God is like, "What y'all need a king for? Why y'all trying to be like the rest of these ninjas?" But they like, "Oh, we need a king. Like we want somebody to be in charge of us." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They pick Saul, and he's good for a minute, and then he's not. And a huge part of the thing that messed him up was obedience, ego failure to heed wise advice. And so I always think about those kind of things, right? Like at what point I can't listen to nobody anymore, right? Like nobody can check me. Who gonna check me, boo? Right? Like mm-hmm. now nobody can check me. I have like amazing mentors. Um, and at the end of the day, if somebody can't be like, yo, your slip is showing, yeah. then you, you shouldn't be outside, right? If you don't want nobody to tell you, yeah. you know, hey, you split the back of your pants. Like, bro, you shouldn't even be outside. It's funny you talk about mentors. I remember watching you preach one time, and I caught, and I sort of felt like it was your moment. And then in that moment, I'm, I see sort of someone else kind of try to take over that moment. And that resonates with me because I was the young kid in the scene, on the mic, paying homage to the older people, always humble, always told that this is your te- this is your time, this is your chance, this is your opportunity. I'm stepping away. I'm not touching this no more. This is all you. They see me kind of take it to a height, and they're like, "Oh, but wait, let me get some of that. Maybe I could last another year, two, three, four, five years. You know what I mean?" And I dealt with that literally the larger part of my hosting career was just always people trying to sort of take credit for my work. People sort of try to not hand it off to me, not, you know, give me my proper due because it was like, nah, I'm not ready to let go. I could imagine what it feels like for that person. Um, I just only know what it felt like for me in that moment. Mm -hmm. And there was a time I was up there and I was watching and I said, wow, I know what that feels like. So I don't know if I felt that for you <laughs> or if I felt that for me. It hurt you to see me dealing with it? It hurt me to see you dealing with it. Um, no, I think for me, I have had amazing mentors. Um, I'm grateful for the space and the opportunities to grow and to preach and to minister. And you, you don't get that in any arena unless somebody holds the door open for you, right? Like you don't, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, somebody gotta hold the door, somebody gotta vouch for you, somebody has to say, nah, you should hear her, she's dope. You know, no, you should invite them. Like, it's gonna be live, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think to myself, uh, a good friend of mine always says, you gotta be careful because one day you'll pastor yourself. Mm. And I, I reflect on that in terms of what it means for me to sort of check my ego in those moments, in the moments where I'm feeling like, y'all could do this, I don't necessarily need help or I don't need your guidance anymore, take your hand off of it. And then I'm like, nah, even when it's you, like even when you sit in the main seat, even when you sign the checks, we need help. You need somebody to remind us, like, you can't do this by yourself. Sometimes you need somebody to remind you to go sit down somewhere. Like, you need somebody, and we've had this conversation. Sometimes you need somebody to remind you, everything don't need a response. Mm. 
You know, it, you don't always got to be out here fighting for everything. Some stuff, some stuff ought to at least feel easy, mm. right? Not that you didn't work for it, not that you didn't study for it, not that you didn't pursue it and put in the hours, but certain fights are like you trying to hold on to something that's not even for you anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, mentors and good leadership will help you to recognize that. Yep. But at different times, it'll also help you to know when it's time to step away. You know, I can remember um, when I got my first full-time gig where I am now, um, I had to leave a church to come here. And I left that church because my mentor told me straight up and down, she loved me, like salt of the earth, big sister. That's, you know, the homie. Mm-hmm. I remember her saying to me, Yo, you gotta leave because it's nowhere for you to grow here except to my spot and you can't have it. Wow. And that was a real honest conversation. Tell me that. No, no, so I'm saying like, I appreciated it. It was a real honest, like she told me like, you are growing. You need to keep growing. In order to grow, you're gonna have to preach. And there's nowhere for you to go here. There is no more upward mobility. The only spot you could get here is mine. I'm not leaving yet. I ain't going nowhere. I'm not going nowhere. And so like, that's, you know, like that was, (laughs) for me, that was wisdom. Like, yeah, don't let me stay in a place that you know nothing is gonna come from it. You know, I'm not gonna grow, I'm not gonna learn. I was young. You know, yeah. I was young. And only thing that I could see was you don't want you don't want me to be. You don't want you don't want me to show them. You scared of me. You terrified. Yeah. You're scared. Yeah. You, you see me coming. You see me. Yeah. And in that moment, again, you digressed. I, I watched you digress. And I was like, wow. I don't know what that meant. Especially at that time too. I was like, I don't know what that meant. Because me, I just always came from, because everything, everything that I got, I had to fight. I had to always go and get my hands dirty. And I guess like, this is it, right? Like for me, and you know, different strokes, different folks, right? Like, uh, you know, take it up the street, you never know how you're gonna get it. But for me, I've always felt like, you know, it's a cliche, we hear it said all the time, but what God has for you is for you. And I have always felt like, that's a pattern in my life that regardless of what was going on or what was being said or who was involved, God was going to orchestrate for me to be in the places and spaces I needed to be in. Whether it was I needed to be in a certain spot so I could hear a conversation being had uh, that was going to teach me something about how to move in the future whether it was I was somewhere so I could learn something, so I knew how to navigate myself and grow to another level. Um, but I just have always felt like, can't nobody stop what God has. I got you ministering to me now. Um, to switch gears, I know this is probably like, what I could imagine would be like one of the hardest conversations to have in your position. Um, thoughts on gay marriage? Oh, it's not hard for me. Okay. Yeah, it's not hard for me at all. I believe that uh, for far too long, people have used the Bible as a tool of oppression and condemnation. Um, the scriptures in the Bible 
that most pastors use to co condemn homosexuality are not really about homosexuality. When you go back to the original language and stuff, when the stories behind these texts um, are primarily about hospitality, how you treat strangers, right? So yeah, um, you know, don't lie with a man as one lies with a woman is because what used to happen was visitors would come into the town and the men of that town would have raped them to prove dominance. So it really was on some like warfare type stuff. Like you, this our hood, you're not allowed here. Straight the up. way we gonna let you know we really run this is we don't even want your wife. Like your daughters are safe. It's you, wow. right? Cause it's certain, there are certain ways that people can violate you and that has nothing to do with sexuality. That's rape is about power and control. Right. And so, so many of these scriptures have been taken out of context and used to reinforce other agendas. Um, so I personally do not have an issue with gay marriage at all. I feel like, you know, I have friends who are same gender loving, who are married, and a number of them are in a lot more healthier relationships than, you know, heterosexual friends I have. And so for me, I think it really comes down to, are you committed to honoring God and honoring your spouse, your partner, whatever, right? I also really flow hard in, you know, the Bible says, you know, there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ, that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ Jesus, neither heights nor depths, angels nor demons, like nothing. Like, you could be everything bad that everybody says you are. I could be everything bad that everybody says I am. And the Bible says that that still can't separate me from Jesus loving me. And so for me, you know, and again, you know, it might be controversial, but it's not hard for me to talk about. For me, I'm willing to have a conversation with Jesus like, damn, I got it wrong. Yeah. Yo, I, because it would always be, yo, I erred on love. I'm not going to tell somebody. You, you imagine, and I think, you know, when we grow up in certain environments like the neighborhood we grew up in, around the people we grew up around, when you hear certain language used hella freely that, you know, we know is demeaning and derogatory, but it just is what it is. When you match that with, because of who I am in a community, I'm never gonna be the reason why somebody thinks God can't love them or God doesn't love them. Yeah, that's dope. Um, that's dope. But again, I told you for me, stuff is about context, right? I told you, we started this off. My father did 20 to life. He got out of prison when I was 22 years old. Like the spring semester that I was graduating from college, that's when he was released from prison. He took someone's life, not he was accused of. He did it, he definitely did it. But my father was saved, you know, like he accepted Christ and tried to live right and was loving and kind and generous, um, but he was also a drug addict, you know? I believe that there is this tension in who we are as people that other people can't accept that God understands. Like you're not always gonna get it right, you're not always gonna say the right thing, do the right thing. Um, but I also think the things that we judge one another for, 
don't mean nothing to God. I think the fact that like some of us are unkind to our children and talk to them any old kind of way, or you know, you'll curse a sibling out at the drop of a dime. You talk about your neighbors bad, you know, you won't help people when you are in a position to help them. I think that gets judged more harshly than whether or not two consenting adults who are same gender loving yeah. choose to be with each other. So that's just me. How 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 do you how do you sort of deal with people that believe in other things, um, other religions, um, maybe atheists? Um, I'm sure that conversation happens a lot. A lot of people feel like they need convincing, right? You gotta like, I feel like Christianity, especially like a pastor, it's like sort of your job to convince people of the word and Jesus Christ or is it to affirm what they already believe? How do you, one, how do you have those conversations with people from other so, religions? And two, okay. so, is your job to sort of, I don't know, like convince people? Like, so I'm gonna answer the second one first. Okay, cool. Um, it's not my job to convince anybody of anything. Um, the Bible's, you know, in the Bible, Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. Right, so my job is to do the lifting. I'm the person that points to the person, right? Like, <laughs> not me. Look, look right there, right? So I'm, I'm the sign, like I'm the arrow. Um, I could tell you all day, it's, it's restaurants. I could tell you all day, we're not doing like free commercials, but I could be telling you, yo, you gotta go here. You gotta go here. You got, yo, it's, bro, it's dope. They got a dope happy hour. The scene is popping. They got a DJ, it's lit. I could say, go, go, go. You like, nah, I'm good. Like. I just, you know, I looked, I looked online at Yelp. It just don't look like my scene. I'm, I'm telling you, yo, I'm Chris. I'm telling you, like, nah, it's dope, man. You want this, nah. And then I'm telling you, son, it's free on Thursdays. Like, go. They trying to build business. You gonna get a free meal and a drink Thursdays? Go. You, nah. I work late on Thursdays, right? Bro, that's you. I'ma still be there. Like we still gonna eat good and drink good and be merry. You missed it, yeah. right? My job is to help as as many people as possible not miss it. Mm. Right? That's that's my job. My I wanna I want to put you onto something dope. It's like I remember a couple of years ago there was a glitch on the UGG website. No no jokes. This is real talk. There was a glitch on the UGG website. I end up getting like two pair, like that's when the like winter Uggs were like a big deal. Like those duck hunter looking ones. And I end up getting them in like two different colors. Immediately I start texting it, all my people, yo, go now, they gonna figure it out. I already got the order confirmation, like it's legit, go now. Some of my people copped them. We was all walking around that winter. Ducks? Yes. But it was a bunch of other people that was like, I was at work. I saw your text message too late. Mm. By the time I tried, it was too late. Mm. Maybe it'll happen again. Maybe. You know, like for that. When it comes to other faiths and how I deal with those conversations, um, I'm really respectful. So like I said, my father became Christian, but when I was born, he was Muslim. So, you know, because I'm Pastor Anonymous, I'm not gonna say my name, but my name is an Islamic name, it's Arabic. Um, and so I grew up in a family of blended faiths, 
right? So I grew up with Muslim cousins. Um, my birth mom is Muslim. Matter of fact, that mosque in Bushwick, the green and white one, like, like mad big one, I was like Muslim on the weekends practically. Gotcha. We would go there every other weekend. So you was exposed to another religion? I was exposed to other faiths um, growing up. And what I came to realize was for me, Jesus is the highest revelation of God. Okay. But I don't dismiss other people's faiths. One of the things that I really try to do is see where, where can I recognize Christian principles in this person's faith? Because at least that puts me in the space to honor it, right? Like, mm. now, am I about to get down with, like, oh, you want some, like, Satanism type stuff? Boo, you can't sit with us. Right. But in general, like, oh, you practice Buddhism. You, right. you know, you're Muslim. Right. You're Jewish. Like, I can respect that. Now, I have a lot of respect for the Islamic faith, just on a basic principle, most Muslims honor Jesus better than the average Christian. Like, there's a reverence Honestly, that they have. The Christianity is the only religion that lacks discipline, for real. And but here's the thing, it's because at a certain point, excuse me, at a certain point, I think people have misconstrued grace. Mm. Right, this idea of like, just like I said earlier, nothing can separate you. Mm -hmm. And so if nothing can separate you, then I could do whatever I want to do. Yeah. Excuse me, the issue is, the Bible also says like, do not be deceived, God will not be mocked. Right, so it's a difference between stuff that you are genuinely struggling with. Right, like let's say, not you, somebody else, but let's say you're genuinely struggling with alcoholism, mm -hmm. right? The Bible doesn't say anything about not drinking. It, it talks about everything in excess is a problem, right? So drinking is not the issue. It's you being drunk, falling out the club. You can't get home safe. You driving, even though you should have called the Uber, right? Like, that's where it turns into, like, this is now inappropriate and therefore sinful behavior because it's selfish and uh, jeopardizes the community and saddens the heart of God, right? At that point, it's like, uh... We, we end up lacking discipline because you think grace is going to end up covering everything. But at a certain point, there was consequences for your actions. Like when you were a teenager or a child dealing with your parents, there are certain things they're going to let slide. Like, all right, cool. Don't let this happen again. Yeah. Right? But you keep playing the same thing. And sometimes people think they're being punished in what they're what they fail to realize is you're not being punished for like your actions or your behavior. God is allowing you to deal with the consequences that you set up. That's, yo, that's, that is so true. Like anything that I felt like I was out of bounds with or do, doing, I was literally, the consequences was there. I just didn't care mm -hmm. until the consequences reached a point where I had to care. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So my threshold for consequences was superseded, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So a lot of people think, so that, I don't know, some people are like getting away. It's like, you don't get away with anything. Nobody's getting away with anything. It's, it's literally like, yo, sometimes you do get a pass though. Like sometimes you do. Sometimes you cheat death. <laughs> yeah. But when that pass comes and you don't learn from it, that's the issue. Yeah. Like, can you recognize that this was grace? Can you recognize that this was your, this was your past, this was your do-over? Or are you the person that's like, 
nah, we out here. Like, this is what we do. I do this. And then next thing you know, you are, you dealing with some ugly situation that you never thought you would be in. Any regrets during your pastoral journey? Any regrets? Uh, yeah, I do. I, it's not a big deal. It's not as dramatic as the other ones. I'm not looking for drama. Okay, good. So, my younger brother, shout out to N.O. Uh, oh, now I'm just giving it up. Why'd you just shout? The person. Well, that's not their real name, so we'll see. But I already told like so much stuff that's like self-disclosure. If the people know me, they know me. Like it is what it is. But um, my younger brother played at the Garden um, for like AAU when he was like in sixth grade or something. I remember um, I ended up seeing the pictures on Facebook, and so I called him and was like, "Yo, you know, you played at the Garden?" And he was like, "Yeah." I was like, "Bro." Why you didn't call me? You didn't tell me. And he was like, I didn't think you was going to be able to come. And I was like, why? Like, what are you talking about? And he was like, you never come to my games anymore because you're always working. Um, and that for me immediately um, changed, like, it changed who I wanted to be in ministry. Like, I, I remember that feeling and I never wanted to feel like that again, like where I got to the point where the church and work and ministry was so consuming that my family didn't even think I would be there. When I talk about my regrets, I don't have a lot. Mm -hmm. One of my regrets was that I did not spend more time with my family. Mm -hmm always touring, always on the road, always out, always partying, always. I did not spend enough time with the people that love me. Yeah. And I, and I always say this, I don't think greatness and good go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. I think you gotta, you gotta cut something off. You gotta, and it requires that because you gotta outperform people in the world, right? To be where you are. Think about all the people you've outperformed. Well, or, right, or the other perspective is you got to set boundaries early in life that allow the time that you have to be so laser focused that you can't be anything but great because you know, yo, I only got this much time to do this right now, right? So before we started, you know, we kicked the two little dudes out. But after my brother said that to me, my goal was to make sure nobody in my family felt like that anymore. And so from my siblings to my sons to my parents, like everybody will tell you, if they call my jack, unless I'm sleeping, I'm answering. Unless I'm sleeping or I'm preaching, like literally I'm in the pulpit. If they call and I'm in service, I'm normally answering or at least texting back right away, are you okay? Because um, I just never want anybody to feel like I chose this over them, particularly when it came down to, like, once I became a mother, right? Like, I have kids, and it's like, I don't want them to feel like they lost me to the church because ultimately I was very aware that that might mean that they might walk away from the church out of resentment. My name is Chris Styles. This is Trapping Anonymous. Let's get it. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Trapping Anonymous. Stay tuned for scenes from our next episode, Pastor Anonymous, part two. Another pastor that's in New York, 
I think my father had asked him, like, you know, are you guys doing a, a holiday service or whatever? And I mean, in the moment, I couldn't tell the difference between this dude and like somebody on the block. You know what I'm saying? He's like, of course I'm doing morning, afternoon, evening. I got to get mine. What? They be having morning service, afternoon service, the interim service, right. evening service. I, I'm not even thinking like, okay, this is just a money maker. For some, you know what I'm saying? Some places. And the thing is also we have to understand is that wherever humans are, there's going to be human error. 